0: I'm your host, as always, Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Steven Palmer.
1: Hello there, everybody.
0: Tonight, you join us for Chapter 14. Join me. Last week, we or last episode, should I say, um, we left on kind of a Flash Gordon-style cliffhanger, if you remember right, uh, because um, mm. we were held up at the clinic. We'd had the big confession from Kazuyu. Um about his involvement in the previous games and then Kuriyama turned up to ruin everyone's fun.
1: As he's wont to do. And I didn't realise it was a cliffhanger until I picked it up this time <laughs> and then I thought, Oh, okay. <laughs> this has gone this has gone somewhere I, I didn't remember it. It escalates, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, so um, we obviously ended with him jumping off the roof um, towards Poor Unfortunate Froggy. So I suppose a better title for this episode would be Goodbye Froggy. Ideally sung in the tone of Q Lazarus' Goodbye Horses. <laughs>
1: it's a like He has a slight... A froggy reader though doesn't he <laughs> he returns momentarily <laughs>
0: so yeah they're basically held up in in the clinic and it's all super tense and it's at this point you just wonder why um because he doesn't just basically just start blasting away with the shotgun when he starts hanging outside because Kiriyama's basically getting his rocks off he's doing the bloody handprint on the window and he knows that they're in there but at the same time he's not just firing randomly and ultimately decides that um, he's going to, you know, remind the audience what happened to Froggy by throwing his decapitated head stuffed with a grenade, which I suppose is quite enough fitting, really, if we were, like, looking at his character from the perspective, like, you know, the books and the manga, he's just this disgusting individual um, to have his mouth, like, stuffed like a pig.
1: So I don't, I, I don't ever remember seeing that scene before. Don't you remember and that? I don't- and I don't know why. Obviously I must have just blanked it I out. I don't
0: know how you come to remember that. I mean when the VHS was like originally released, you had like the um like the notes that you got with all the Tart Tartanature Extreme. Mm. And the the opening lines are is them basically describing that scene. And it's like, Oh, three three um school are huddled in a hut and while well, fire rages around them and then the decapitated head <laughs> Of one of their classmates yeah. races thrown for a window, so
1: it's and definitely always is, been there. It is probably the grimmest thing which happens in the whole film. I think. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the the general grimness of it, and we've talked about other things, you know, that can happen. You know, where they're all walking around with a thing which could potentially blow their head off. Yeah, this is the only head we see released from <laughs> released from its vertebrae. And yeah, I was quite shocked when I rewatched it for this. I thinking. How do I not remember that? But then I, you know, I'm old. Maybe this is the beginning of, you know, something. But it's, you know, and, and, and as you say, you know, with hand grenade in mouth, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's all a bit of salt on pre six thirteen. This this little <laughs> short bit, lots of lots of guns f- shooting off, and um, and and um, yeah, and our hero suddenly grows a set of balls, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is really him, the first of his, like, call to action as a hero, because he's kind of been, you know, he's kind of been going through the motions so much, but he's really sort of, he's hung around Minariko, and he's kind of been a protector, but he's not been particularly great, but now he's sort of, like, really, I think he finally, at this moment, he sort of steps up, um, and we start to see his hero journey really come into sort of full effect, and um, it's really sort of like the grim times ahead of him now, really, because we have this uh, sort of grenade attack, and of course this is a proper like Hollywood-style grenade. So people just basically thrown through the air, and there's a loud bang. Nobody's really been sort of shredded up or anything. It's and I, I, grenades in real life don't exactly work like that.
1: No, it's uh, it's it's a film conceit, isn't it? Like several things in this world, you just you just run with it and you assume that's how they work um hopefully i'll never have to come up against a grenade in my life but you know he's got a gun and he's shooting it and he and he and he actually does something and he prizes himself away from the rico and yeah he suddenly becomes a man of action um you know picks uh picks the toughest nut to go up against who luckily He's so obsessed with just using his gun one-handed that he can't shoot a barn door with a banjo. Well, this yeah, this also
0: brought into in brought into the question up really of like, does anyone even have ammunition in this, or is it like a John Woo style affair where it's just unlimited ammunition that everybody suddenly has? Because he fires that thing just like constantly, but he only like once bothers to like check the clip. Um, mm. We never see him like have another clip or anything like that. He's just quite happy just to fire unlimited round after unlimited round into the clinic. He's firing it after um, Shuya. So, it's kind of, in terms of his, um, as you said with Shuya, I mean, he is going up against one of the toughest people in, in the game, and I mean, it's not like the fact he's just like running away from him. He has like a bit of a shootout with him on the beach um, as well, which really sort of took me by surprise that how much sort of head-on sort of contact that he has mm. with him. And then at the same time we've got um, Hiroki Shigemura, who we've seen previously. He's obviously had a scene earlier with Shigasaw and now we see him sort of reunited uh, reunited with more of his friends in this scene. And he really sort of does his bit to with helping with like the um escape that by sort of He um, also tackles Kiriyama as well while sort of basically aiding Shuja in their, their big escape.
1: Yeah, it's a bit, um... So we we see him, I assume, in the same place where Jigasa died, but she's not there anymore. But it looks like a similar place. i do not so sure if it
0: was, because he was over by a dam and the shrine where she dies. Um, because, um
1: i i i thought they i thought they'd huddled that's where they'd cuddled but maybe maybe because he's
0: down by they're basically down by the, the 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 fisherman's village um at this point because mm. we see him he's lying on top of the roof
1: mm. um oh okay yes i think i just misunderstood what i was seeing yeah so he's he's
0: obviously moved on from that area and he's obviously still continuing his own Unquest. Um something we have forgot to randomly bring up um during the episode where Chicago obviously un- meets her unfortunate demise is the fact that when she sees um uh, Mitsuku she says die ugly <laughs> <laughs> Which is some reason I think we were just so caught up in that big role that doesn't happen in the film but obviously happens in the manga especially. Um that we kind of kind of forgot about her part. Her part was kinda of like dusted over there, but Mm. she's not one for good catch traces it has to be said and you kind of realize why <laughs> kiriyama doesn't say anything at
1: all <laughs> it's not like she's not getting a part in a crime scene investigation for the opening opening pun is she <laughs> just oh. die ugly <laughs> <laughs>
0: um but yeah um obviously shuya does his amazing leap off uh, the cliff as part of his escape plan, while holding a net. So I don't know if he was, like, going for a die-hard moment, but that net seemed absolutely useless, him grabbing hold of it.
1: And it doesn't seem to go down with him either, does it? I'm not really sure. I'm sure that was just part... There must be some side effect of the, of the of the practical effect of the stunt that they were doing. I don't know. Yeah, I think
0: if you're jumping into the ocean, to have something you're going to get tangled in, perhaps not the best plan. No,
1: indeed. But yes, and, and then sort of you realise, you know, Oh, hang on, with it bloody hell. So he's just gone and drawn the fire, so that his um, a wet little friend and somebody who's probably more capable than him than facing down how can escape? But uh, that's true. Yes, especially finally-
0: if we're like looking at his, uh, you know, the manga and the book counterpart. Because he's obviously a skilled martial artist. So mm. if we were, if that version was going to play into Q, he would have been kind of interesting seeing there uh, some kung fu versus bullet fu. I'm not saying oh, it was, would have ended well, but
1: <laughs> no. But yes, it's definitely a step up. Suddenly, he—I don't know—he just suddenly's done, finally done something heroic, other than being just a nice bloke who, who is apparently everybody's friends.
0: <laughs> He's the linchpin of this whole class, apparently.
1: Mm, every, everyone knows him, and everyone wants to be his friend. Um, I'm still not sure if some of them have really twigged what's going on, <laughs> but. Uh... <coughs> You know that they're not all going to be able to survive. Yeah. But yeah, that was um, that was interesting. A really interesting chapter placement because, you know, like in the in the last episode, Froggy getting his head cut off was a bit like, oh, I think we both were a bit surprised that was part of the previous episode, and to find that we are still in this, it's, this is one of the. Uh, is this the first real big action sequence with lots of flashing and gunfire going off? I mean, we've seen bits before, but. Nothing like
0: this. This is yeah. I would say that this is like the biggest action sequence we've seen to date. Everything else has been just sort of like, sort of classmates attacking each other. So it's been it's mm. been more drawn. But this one's like um, Kuriyama really sort of like taking on a a group that's going to fight back rather than being caught off guard, as we uh, yeah. saw on so with the beach. So
1: this. I mean, I guess the last time we saw Shoya do anything, he was falling down the um, falling down the. Uh... At the, the, the side of a hill and accidentally stabbing somebody in the head with their own knife. Um, you know, this, this is the first time he's really done anything on purpose. Yeah, and uh, it
0: also brings into question the fact that Kiriyama has obviously got Froggy's bulletproof vest, which he indeed, was so yep. he was so happy that he has got his helmet. He's got his bulletproof vest and he was all like, "Oh, my bulletproof vest saving!" Then, obviously, at the end of the previous chapter, we see Kiriyama jumping off the roof and slicing his head off. And he was all left up in the air, whether, you know, what happened to him, whether he may still skip or not. And then, obviously, start this chapter. Yeah, that's answered Richard. pretty quick. And
1: I assumed it was Froggy's hand, the bloody hand, on the window, where where Kuriyama had probably taken off his vest and thrown I the I would body assume it was window. Kuriyama's
0: own hand. I mean, obviously, he's had why to... Why would it be bloody? Because oh, he's thrown he's a decapitated that. head for a window. That's why. True, true. It's While it's a very dry, fake head... <laughs> um nice. you you I mean you can't just hack somebody's head off and not get blood everywhere
1: <laughs> yeah, no that's true and you know and as and as practical effects go, that's not a bad head either
0: yeah, I have to i s- didn't I- yeah please
1: go no no sorry right, you go.
0: I was just about to say I just don't know how Kuryama managed to get the the bulletproof vest on and still have all his clothes on looking exactly the same.
1: Well, he's a superstar, isn't he? Really, he manages
0: to find time to like <laughs> take all his clothes off, put the bulletproof vest on, put his clothes back on, not get blood on anything at all.
1: All, all in about thirty seconds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a bit of a, hmm. but, but no. You... I guess. I guess. I guess that's where we have to go with
0: it. <laughs> it is. I mean, this is obviously the first as you said, this is the first of the bigger action sequences. And I think now that the numbers have been whittled down, I think people are very much in the mindset that they're more, they're more than happy to do what they have to do. And it becomes, we start to see more of these sort of big action scenes coming into play. Because then we've got another one, big one coming up when we go to the lighthouse and we've got mm-hmm. another with the, uh, the moment that's now being referred to as the Sephiroth moment, which is uh, towards the end of the film as well. So, it's, um, yeah, we've got some, some big ones uh, coming up still.
1: It's about 20 episodes time. Well, actually, yeah. no, we've got one coming up very, 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 very very soon, actually.
0: Yep. Think, thinking about it. <coughs> two episodes time.
1: Mm.
0: We've got um, we've got another big one coming up. But, um, yeah, we obviously, that's, I thought, thought this episode in my head for some reason, I just thought it was those, it was Curia um, Armitation you Around the Beach. And I thought that was the whole sequence of this chapter, which makes Join Me kind of a weird choice for the chapter. Um, mm. And then I remembered that we obviously got the meeting we go back to the third man. And his yes. little... Uh, his little... Um, I don't know, what, what do you want to call him, His followers.
1: His little gang. And and we get a little, um, a little bit of exposition about other things going on in the world. Which is the first time the any character kind of references anything really about what the world's like outside of um Battle Royale.
0: We do. Um I just also wanna to, wanna to say while we we're talking about um about this this group though, this was the first time I noticed their really cool uh headwear
1: that they fashion for themselves. Oh, that with their flashlights on on their head with like I don't know, like water bottles. Yeah, one's jammed in a water bottle tape.
0: and the other one's <laughs> got like a washing up bowl on his head and I never mm. noticed this. And I've seen this one so many times I never noticed what they had on the head before.
1: And and it kind of goes, that's their um, <sighs> these guys are the Scrapyard Challenge. There's a deep reference for... What's this? We're <laughs> just now working <laughs> in British TV shows into every episode. Yeah, we are. We are. But you know, the, the, there is a sort of there's something about these guys that you know, the, the other two are muppets, but they are. They have been able to do something. That's kind of cool, isn't it? By putting the flashlight in the head, thereby making their hands free to get all this mysterious chemical material that they've. Um, well, the chemical material itself isn't mysterious. The fact that it's lying about the island, I find a, a little no, really. odd. But... I mean,
0: it's fertilizer, which they would obviously have, gasoline, which again, they would have on the island, and all this being for the bomb that he's building, because he has his uncle's sort of um anarchist manifesto called the ticking clock Mm. um and we've obviously talked before about his uncle being like this government activist uh anti-government activist should i say and he'd obviously tried to this tried to um pull off this bomb plot which had fallen through and he'd given his nephew the the blasting trigger from the bomb which may also explain why it didn't work
1: and also, he's been sending his nephew postcards for that anyone could fucking read while they're being sent through the mail. I don't know. I just a bit weird that was, but you know, that's what I. That's what I take on all my school trips. Is postcards from my um, terrorist uncle. I carry them with me everywhere. I don't know about
0: you, Elwood. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but um, when it comes to um, Shinja, the fact that he is part of his stick, I mean, he's a hacker, he's an anarchist. True. So I, you would I, have I these pose. things with you at all times, so you don't want them falling into the hands of the the man or whoever you're going up against. And the fact that this is, he's an unusual character because he's this star basketball player and at the same time this amazing hacker.
1: Oh, that, that happens all the time. We talked about this before. That's a very common trope in the world. That the best, the best, the best computer, best at computer science, is always the best at sport. Oh wait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I just, I mean, I love the fact that they're gathering all these bits together, and the, the plot is already coming together. He's like, yes, I'm going to smash the network, and. Even, we'll obviously come back to this at some point. I'm not sure how actually effective any of these plans are. But it's kind of interesting the fact that how the you've got this guy who's obviously pulling his own plot there rather than just, like, you know, scheming against his fellow classmates or trying to come up with half-baked ideas to escape the island. Here's someone with, like, an actual, you know, formulated plan and that he's going to put into action. And it seems almost, like, too perfect. He's been, like... Spent been training all these years, waiting for an opportunity to use all these skills, and now he's obviously in the battle royale program. It's all sort of like fallen completely into his lap. This like, you know, this this big moment that he feels he's been sort of training yeah, himself for. He
1: was he he was so him him and Mitsko are in both their ways. They've been born for this moment. This is this is a thing which obviously wouldn't ever happen to anybody in any kind of likelihood, but they've both been waiting for this moment, him to be able to, to, to put into plan all this training, all this anarchist cookbook stuff, bombs and, and planning against, like I say, the man and Mitsko, uh, you know, where she can finally let go and just have a revenge on everybody. The sort of, the pair of them are in their absolute element, but you just think they could have gone their entire lives and it never have come to any kind of fruition at all. Yeah. I also
0: love the fact that they cart all this stuff all the way upstairs, when the truck that they've stolen as well to put this <laughs> all in is downstairs. <laughs> now, sense to myself would be that you, if you're going to build something that's going to weigh a lot, then you build it downstairs, because that's where you're going to move it to, not just keep carting stuff up and down the stairs.
1: Well, you know, it's keep fit, isn't it? Keep 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 get the bodies active, keep the minds active. I
0: know. Yes, Shinji wants to have his Cobra command set up, but really, <laughs> we don't need to be building bombs in the same room that we're we're doing this. Yes. So.
1: Yes. Unless they're just trying to keep it dry, maybe off the ground. I, no, I, I think it's just. I think it's just something we're not. We went to skit over. Yeah. We need to be talking upstairs. I just love the line. Cobra it's like,
0: command. oh, we stole your little truck to keep it in as well
1: yeah i know <laughs> that's just convenient it's <laughs> again where is all this stuff oh dear it, it, but... and again this this falls
0: into like the problem really because it depending on which source material you're you're reading it even makes sense that it's there or it's as i say it's like scrappy challenge
1: things that shouldn't be there are mysteriously there mm, yeah. yeah and yeah And, and the whole I'm not really sure what that bomb trigger thing is. I mean, just—it's a blasting <laughs> cap. Yeah, is it? yeah, but I'm pretty certain if he can do all this other shit, he can make himself some kind of um, fire device. I'm pretty certain that they could probably manage that. But just so, okay, so you, very so convenient.
0: He has a blasting cap, but you think that for a blasting cap, he's going to get a radio-operated detonator <laughs> made?
1: Oh, he probably could.
0: I mean, it's not... Come uh, on. He would have to have, like... First of all, he'd have to have two radio transmitters in order to send it, which I doubt are going to be on the island. And the fact that... Apart from
1: they they are, hasn't somebody got walkie-talkies?
0: No, nobody's got walkie-talkies.
1: Yeah, they have. I thought somebody had walkie-talkies. Maybe that's maybe that's oh god. If... <laughs> we we're going off to the wiki now. We? <laughs> On the wiki. Now we've got to go through what everyone got in their bags. Oh dear. No, maybe not. But yes, I I, I hear what you're saying. So... It's just it is it is a conceit of the film, and it's awfully convenient that <clears throat> he so happens to have that. But I guess the fact he's got that is then what's leading him to this plan. He if he didn't have that, he may have a different plan.
0: Didn't didn't watch Fight Club then, Stephen. It's Fight Club or I, chemistry class of teachers. Everything that we need to need in life is found under the kitchen sink. There's a <laughs> number chemistry. of household chemicals that you can use, including uh, the byproducts of making soap. Although in the um, film geez. they changed ingredients, which aren't chosen in the book, uh, right. because they don't watch like the monkey see, monkey do attitude of
1: of people of kids who watch Fight Club. Yes, you you've got to be very careful <laughs> you't you, you what you show on films because yeah. people are idiots.
0: Um, although, while we're obviously talking about the anarchist cookbook, the documentary the about the anarchist cookbook is actually kind of fascinating, especially as the guy who did it. It was more like a protest art project than actually mm. you know something intentioned to cause harm. And he said himself that he just basically went to the library and just copied stuff that was like readily available in the reference section. Um, and he's, as I said, now it's been, like, this horrible legacy that sort of held over in that every time they have, like, a terrorist attack or some kid shoots up their school, it's always, like, the anarchist book was found there. Um, yeah. But that, and, um, back in the early days of the internet it was that, and there was another one called the Big Book of Mischief that taught you how to make, like, potato launchers out of drain pipes and stuff. And when you live in the country and need something to do, it was a great source of entertainment. <laughs> Just spend days launching potatoes across the field.
1: Well, that, and that's what's made you the man you are today.
0: Oh, and now look at me—I'm here, and, you, on and a you're podcast right. I, talking about. I was
1: I was confusing walkie-talkies with cloth headbands. You're quite right. How the no hell did you... <laughs> I don't it had in my head someone had walkie-talkies, but you know, is it any more ridiculous than they're some of the other headband. shit that they've got? Yeah, you've
0: got two walkie-talkies, but who are you going to talk
1: to? <laughs> well, that would be the thing, your mate. You would need to find ah. someone
0: and trust they're not going to
1: kill you. Yeah, but it's no more stupid than a fork or a pot lid. Or oh, yeah, darts.
0: Anyway. Yeah, that was. I think I think darts is still my favourite one. Um, I I go back paper and forth. Fan? <laughs> yeah, paper finally is pretty stupid, but like when you talk about the actual sort of, like weapons and stuff, it's all sort of, like, the boomerang. I still question,
1: um, unless you were the Australian Aboriginal um, exchange student. <laughs> and then he's like, "Yes!" <laughs> like, so, so it all
0: balances on you being the kid from Walkabout. Cause yeah, that's the only time I've seen the boomerang uh-huh. used right. So, uh,
1: yeah, well, it pretty much is. I mean, yeah, it is. It is. It is a weapon, but yeah, you have to know how to use it, and uh, possibly not one for using in in semi-jungle areas.
0: No, nothing worse than getting your boomerang stuck in a tree. Yeah uh which obviously isn't a problem right in the outback because it's nothing but <laughs> but desert pretty much ah oh, watching Indeed. waking fright today i was just realizing it's like what a what a different world australia is to us
1: uh, uh, yeah outback australia is absolutely a different world <laughs>
0: so but um anything else you want to talk about in this chapter
1: no, it's just a weird, a weird old chapter that's been sliced up in a really weird way. That the two parts of it are very, very separate. <laughs> um, and but it's nice to see a bit of action. Nice to see a bit of exposition. Gives some characters some, some, some. It gives the world a bit of world building going on. Yeah. Still, hour into the film, so I can't, kind of apart from I thought it was stupid. i will kind of with that. Nice bit of gore. Um, to keep the gore hounds happy, which is not overly gory. And obviously, I'd blanked it out of my memory. It was so terrible. It's funny, because uh,
0: the scene where the where the girls get um, gunned down by uh, Kazuya mm. with a megaphone, I found that more disturbing when we looked at that in in-depth detail than I've ever done before.
1: And it was just the mm. weirdest thing. Because that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's just so cold and evil and... Yeah, when you're when you're <laughs> pulling it apart to the level we're pulling, yeah, it yeah, it's like I when you watch it as is... an
0: isolated chapter, it's so much more chilling than when you watch it as part of the the
1: bigger picture.
0: Um, mm.
1: It's weird. It's weird. Very much so, but yeah, I, I um, and and at finally, keep you know, the, for me, the important thing it it gets um, Shuya away from Nariko for for at least ten minutes, which. I think then, you know, I've, I've been going on and on. I, he just doesn't appear so far to be a very heroic character. He doesn't appear to be any Why is he the hero? Why is he the one that we're rooting for when he's done nothing but whinge and moan? Because he's the everyman. Yeah, but he's, but he's an everyman who can't, he's an, he's an every nothing. But, and, you know, but finally, finally in this episode, finally at this point, he's done something that we could counter as heroic. Yeah. And he's done something. He's done. He's, he's become a protagonist, rather than just something. Which things happen to him, and people talk about him all the time. So, yeah, um, we're on the we're on the journey now to the to the real guts of the film. But I think these are two two important little scenes. Yep. So this brings
0: us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. And also check out our main show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, um, where every episode, myself and Stephen, take turns to pick a film to break down and review. And uh, you can follow us uh, through that show on both on Facebook and Instagram. You know, come and say hi to us. And in particular, our Facebook group has just been a real hub of fun, uh, conversation there and we post stuff pretty much every day not only just about asian cinema but also about uh, asian pop culture as well and uh, you can also catch up on our full archive of episodes over on our blog which is Um but uh, thank you as always for listening thank you to my co-host steven it's a pleasure and join us next time for chapter 15 the lighthouse but until then good night